Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. This is an exciting week because we're actually in the same place. So nice to see you. Hollister, likewise, we are back at the Beacon in New York <laughs> City where Jerry Seinfeld, apparently he seems to have moved in next door. Yes, he is there a couple times a month, so go Jerry. Performing at the Beacon Theater. But you yada yada over the best part. Right, and I hear we have some couple write-in things or some some things from the from the field that you wanted to bring I up. I love our listeners, and I really love their comments. Okay, so this one I wanted to share. It's from Demi in Santa Monica. Okay, she says, Loved last week's list of six and the choice of Verdell. The mention of Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets reminded me of one of my favorite Larry Moss stories. Who's Larry Moss? Okay, Larry Moss is the famed acting coach who has coached many actors of Oscar-winning performances. Okay. How he told Helen Hunt he wasn't feeling her performance in her feet, that if she were really a waitress, she would be on her feet all day, every day. So in rehearsal, he had her put marbles in the bottom of her shoes. P.S. I would have included best in show. (laughs) So he said the performance didn't show in her feet? Not initially. So he had her rehearse with marbles in the bottom of her shoes. You know what's really interesting about that? Do tell. Is one of the most interesting things about the performance overall was how he walked. Jack Nicholson. Yes, how he walked, you know, over cracks, how he couldn't walk on certain sides of the street, and how at the end, she's like, if you can't walk next to me, we can't be together. It was all about his feet. Like, watching his feet in that movie, to me, was one of the great pleasures. Hollister, that is a great point. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And yeah. Helen Hunt's the one who walked home with the Oscar. Yeah, very cute. <laughs> did you, you planned that all week. That <laughs> no, was, I didn't. I'm sure you think you didn't, but you probably did. Um, all right, we're going to move on now to our list of six this week. Yes. Which is going to be um, about spinoffs, like our favorite spinoffs. Yes. Okay, you start. Okay, I'm going to start with Rhoda. Oh, okay. She was my favorite character on Mary Tyler Moore. I loved how she was free-spirited, a bohemian. She has such a good heart. And I love Valerie Harper. What with, happened to her? Oh, well, she's still around. I mean, you know how she got diagnosed with brain cancer? No. Yeah. And yet she still went on to do one of those shows, Dancing with the Stars. Huh. Yeah. She said the strength of the show, both Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda, was in the writing Well, we always think that. Well, from the first year, uh, Freddie Silverman, who was then head of the network, was saying, we're going to spin you off. And I thought I was being fired until I asked somebody what the term meant. And then I said, oh, no, no, I don't want... And then finally, the fourth year, um, Mary, I said, I don't want to go. I don't want to... She said, you don't want to be my sidekick all your life. I said, yes, yes, I do. She said, oh, come on. I said, what if it fails? She said, if it fails, you'll move back to Minneapolis. And I'll have you back in my life again. And I thought, that that's working with the net, isn't it? <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, now this was your idea to do spinoffs. It was. And I really tried. I The truth is, just like I don't like follow-up movies other than The Godfather, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe The Hunger Games, but I never think the second round of a movie is ever worth going to. I feel the same way about spinoffs. So what I'm going to do instead, because I don't have any favorites, although None. Rhoda would have been my favorite if I had, if I, you know, if you had a gun to my head and said, okay, I would say Rhoda. But I wanted to talk about some of the spinoffs from the, the biggest spinoffs that have taken place ever. So, so All in the Family had, I think, the strongest spinoff collection, and that was Maude, the Jeffersons, and Gloria. I agree. Okay, so 
not that I think they were good. I did never got into Maud. I thought she was caustic. I love. That she had bad energy. I didn't like her. I love Bay Arthur. I think okay. she's a great actress. Well, there you go. All right, so that was mine. So, what's your next one that you did like? Okay, I'm gonna go with Laverne and Shirley. Which, by the way, was the song she made up when she was little. Yes, so Happy Days, we talked about this in a prior podcast, was created by her brother Gary Marshall. And Laverne and Shirley made an appearance on Happy Days where they were supposed to play two, in quotes, older, more experienced women. (laughs) So Penny Marshall in her memoir, she mentioned how, for the sake of the spinoff, their characters were re-virginated. But I thought Laverne and Shirley was a great spinoff. Well, it's funny because my next round of spinoffs is Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. Did you know that was a spinoff? Yeah. Of Happy Days? I never mm-hmm. knew that. I always thought Mork and Mindy was before Happy Days, but apparently not. No, it was after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the Fork. I don't know that one. I'm sorry. The Fonz. Oh. I yeah, it was an animated know. show, and it never took off. And and um, Joni Loves Chachi, which oh, did right. take off. Yeah. But, yeah. again, none compare with Happy Days other than Mork and Mindy, which I think is better than Happy Days. Mark and Mindy was a great show. Okay, what 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 else have you? I didn't know if you were gonna let this one qualify, but Friends. Friends is a spinoff of what? Well, Phoebe's character was the spacey waitress on Mad About You. Okay, that's way too big a stretch. Okay, I thought if you disqualified eh, me, no, it's disqualified. I had one in reserve. Just okay, in what's case. your reserve? Frasier. Which is a spinoff of Cheers. Oh, okay. And I thought it was really brilliant. Hey, it's a good to, one. To Seattle. Yep. yep. Again, the writing on that show I thought was very strong. Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna you know you know I'm a fan of Oprah. Yes. Okay, Oprah has done many spinoffs. She's done Doctor Phil. I love that you thought of this. This okay, but can I just say Doctor Phil? I think it stinks as a show. I can't say I've ever seen it. Okay, well, believe me, it's right up there with Jerry Springer. Okay. You know, it is certainly not at Oprah level. You know, he certainly has taken the dark side. He went to the money. He showed me the money. He followed the money rather than actually giving content that was relevant. And truth be told, he's not even a registered PhD <laughs> shrink, you know. Okay, uh, Dr. Oz, another one that is not okay. <laughs> People, not okay. Huge criticism really? of Dr. Oz. Of course, he, he's willing to pay to play. You can pay to be to be on there and play with products. He looks healthy. Okay, whatever. And then Nate Berkus, which was shut down a year after it started. He oh. was the desi- designer decorator. So Oprah, what it, what it, I think it's so interesting because what it shows is that her show was amazing and probably one of the best shows ever in the history of television in terms of a empowering women but secondly appealing to women and yet none of her spin-offs really i mean dr phil made a lot of money for her and i'm sure oz does too but it's not the same caliber of content that has always been her mantra so anyway my third was oprah and you know what alistair i'm giving it to you because you probably mentioned the show that aired the longest 25 years, yeah. Oprah. Go yeah. Oprah. Yeah. Go O. Moving right along here. Okay, everyone who listens to our podcast knows that one of my things I love is I love when real life becomes a movie. And this week we're going to talk about a bunch of things, but we went to see together a United Kingdom yesterday, which when we leave, we basically don't speak to each other the rest <laughs> of the way because we're not allowed to talk about it. People so, must think we're the worst I know. Friends. So I don't know what you think and you don't know what I think. But also before that, I had seen... Um, but I know you think something. <laughs> you know I do. I had seen the movie Loving. 
or the power vested in me by the District of Columbia. I now pronounce you husband and wife. The 1967 Supreme Court uh, decision, uh, which was Loving versus the state of Virginia. Richard Perry Loving being a white person and Mildred Jeter being a colored person did unlawfully cohabitate as man and wife. And it was against the law, and basically they ran him out of town. They, you know, he was lynched, we're gonna lynch you. We, they arrested him a couple times, and it was a nightmare. And then it eventually ended up in the Supreme Court, and they didn't even go. By the way, this is how different things were in 1967. The lawyer said, do you want to come to and watch us present to the Supreme Court? And he was like, why would I want to do that? Is there anything you'd like me to say to the Supreme Court justices of the United States? Yeah. Tell the judge I love my wife. You know, which was really the focal point that said it all of who can determine what love is okay and what isn't. But what I found interesting that I learned in this film was that the premise that the state of Virginia took was that if you procreated in marriage, which is what the purpose of marriage is, and you were a man of color and a, and a white woman or vice versa, then those children would never have a chance because they wouldn't belong to either race and therefore they wouldn't have a place in society and that's why it should be illegal. That's an wow. interesting premise. Uh, you know, it's outrageous, but it's interesting. So here's this beautifully done movie. Now, I, I'm sure you know that, um, that Ruth Nega is up, she's nominated for Best Actress in, um, the, in the uh, Academy Awards. Yes, and this was the talk of the Cannes Film Festival. I won't raise my family here. I don't care what they do to us. I remember when I was in law school and we read about this case in constitutional law, could you ask for a better named plaintiff if you were an attorney than no. Loving? No, you couldn't. Right? Yeah. He was a very quiet man. She was the sort of the, the mouthpiece behind their decision to take it as far as they did. He was played by Joel Edgerton. Yeah, he was really a very well done. strong actor. Yeah. So now, did you like the film? Um, I loved the film, yeah. It's a little slow, you know, but it deserves to be. In other words, sometimes you just have to sit tight to get the bigger message, and I think that they did that. Now, Jeff Nichols wrote, um, he wrote he wrote this film, but he also wrote Mud. Did you see Mud? I did see Mud with you Matthew did? McConaughey. You did? Oh, I know you saw that, huh? Reese Witherspoon. I never wanted to see it. So I can't see writing Mud and then writing, <laughs> you know, Loving, and, and it just seems like an odd combination to me. So, But having not seen Mud, I can't really talk much about it there but it's beautifully written and the dialogue is really really well done in it so you know George Bernard Shaw wrote a play called Marriage and I found it fascinating there's two characters they want to get married mm -hmm. and their parents say look marriage is a contract which is something else we discussed in law school and they said draw up your contract and if you can agree on what marriage is you can get married it was very interesting and I wonder what the Supreme Court would say today the purpose of marriage is since clearly population rates in some parts of the world are declining. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know that even you and I would agree, you know. I mean, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, having been married twice, yikes, okay, <laughs> like H1 and H2, husband one and husband two, I'm really no one to talk about marriage myself. 
um, having never conquered that that aspect of life. But at any rate, I think it's a wonderful movie, and it's a good movie to show kids. It is. It's an excellent movie, which leads us into what we saw together, which is in the United Kingdom, which why don't you do the intro around what the, what the premise is. Okay, this was based on the book Color Bar, The Triumph of Seretsi Kama and His Nation by Susan Williams. I loved this real-life story of the heir apparent to the throne in Botswana. He leaves Botswana. He's being educated in England. He falls for an English woman. Over two decades of preparing you to be our king, this is how you face me. How long before the village dust gets in her eyes? I am told that you no longer wish for me to honor my duty as your king because of the color of the wife I have chosen. Who do you think will accept you? You belong to the whites, but they won't want you either. Well, the story is that the politics got in the way because the politics in Britain and their agreements with South Africa about apartheid did not allow for them to get married. It had nothing to do with who he was marrying or that she was white or whatever. And yet, it kind of did because... They cover this a little bit in the movie. Botswana chose to become a protectorate of England under Queen Victoria because they were so terrified South Africa was going to invade. So it brings up this shadow and specter of colonialism. Right. Um, But for me, the story is fabulous and it's interesting. And I, I took a little time to sort of research it a bit. They rewrote the story a little bit. They made it into a shorter time frame than it was. They were exiled for six years. Mm -hmm. That's a long, long time. Everything changed in the country during that six years, which it appears in the movie as if this takes place over a year and a half. And I don't think it did the movie well by showing it that way. I think that, and I think that it took way too long to tell the story. I just, I don't know, maybe it was the screenplay. You know, I didn't believe they were in love. I didn't believe, I didn't see them falling in love. I didn't see the connection other than they both love jazz and to dance to it. Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel that it was, this really true story was being told in a way that made me believe it. At the same time, Rosamund Pike, I'll take her any day. Hollister, I totally agree with you. I think the screenplay, it did not, I did not connect with it emotionally. I love David Oyelowo from Selma and the Queen of Katwe and MI5. I love Rosamund Pike. I love the story. When you're talking about an epic love story, and this is an epic Epic. love story. (laughs) A lot of people gave up a lot of things to be in love with each other in that story. I I can't think of more that you could have renounced to have been together. And both the actors are extremely capable. I loved their scenes where she's appealing to Churchill via the TV link. He's appealing to his tribe. I am ready to serve you because I love my people. I love this land. But I love my wife. And yet, It wasn't the directing, the, uh, the cinematography. That wasn't the problem. But... I never got emotionally connected to the story. It felt like a book report, and it happened too quickly, just Mm -hmm. like you say. And I thought, imagine some of the great love stories on screen, like Casablanca. If Ilza and Rick met in frame one, they swapped some records, and then all of a sudden everybody was against them, but they held together. It It just didn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, Guy Hibbert, he did the screenplay to Eye in the Sky that we did a podcast about Alan Rickman's Which I liked much better than you did. But that, I, I have to share your thought that it was great at maintaining tension. And here, I didn't feel the tension. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It was, it was clunky. It was clunky. You know, and I heard a fascinating interview with David Oyelowo. I was more emotionally moved just hearing him talk <laughs> about the making of the movie because 
Both of his parents came from Nigeria. They moved to the UK. His father first went to London in the 60s and then went back in the 70s, faced a lot of racism. So imagine this. David Oyelowo was the first black actor to ever play an English king at the Royal Shakespeare Company. He played Henry VI. Hmm. It was the first performance of his his father ever came to see. He said he looked over, his father was riveted the whole time. He had tears going down his face. Mm. And he thought me, a man from Nigeria who came to London and had coffee thrown in my face in the 60s, my son is playing the British king. Wow. I mean, you know, that's that's it's a moment stuff. It's a moment, right? yeah. Well, maybe he should just do that. In the you know, let me would, take a break from this movie to tell you the story, right? and maybe everybody would have been coming to the movie. Very but moving, and yeah. in, in real life, he married a British woman himself. His wife Jessica is actually in a United Kingdom. Huh. She's the one playing Lady Lily Canning. She's the one married to Jack Davenport from Coupling and Smash, huh. who had the thankless role of playing the bad British guy wearing the they're weird head Bra- Can I just say they're all bad British guys? <laughs> I didn't like any of them. If you choose to marry the leader of an African nation, you will be responsible for the downfall of the British Empire in Africa. Have you no shame? Okay, it's directed by Emma Asante. Mm-hmm, who okay. did Belle. I loved Belle, and I thought it was another one of those stories those movies that never people didn't go to and it was a real story and they should have gone to she did bell much better than she did this and i think she was more comfortable with the content this is a quote from ama asante about bell and a united kingdom both films deal with interracial relationships justice and race but the defining characteristic of each story is really love bell and a united kingdom are love letters to love i'm sorry i don't even that that doesn't even connect with me you know, and I love quotes. You know I'm a quote lover, I, and I'm, she's just not doing it for but me. But I think that's what disappointed me, yeah. is that I'm missing that yeah. love. I liked their chemistry, love both the actors. Great story, great story. And now, in real life, their son became the fourth democratically elected leader of Botswana. I know, there you go. They call him their Obama. Well, there you go. And do you know who else was in the film? Who? Lady Edith. Oh, I know, I saw her. I know, I felt like she, she was plays her still sister. Lady Edith. Yeah. Yep. Father will hate him on sight. He's cleverer than him, and he's black. She might change her mind. I've met the man I want to spend my life with. Okay, but can we just get to the real guts of this week here? Okay, we both watched the premiere of the television show. Okay, I'm just going to start it off by saying it's the Real Housewives of Orange County (gasps) meeting Legally Blonde, meeting Stepford Wives, meets Criminal Minds. That's very interesting. Okay, can anybody out there guess which TV show we're talking about? <laughs> this is the clue I would have given. Allie McBeal meets the affair. Yeah, You're way too intelligent <laughs> for me. Okay, the show is Big Little Lies. Based on the book by the Australian right. writer Leanne Moriarty. I love Leanne Moriarty's books. I listen to the audiobooks, which are all read by Caroline Lee, who does a great job performing them. Her ankle turned. One second it was doing what an ankle was meant to do, and the next it was flipping out at a sickeningly wrong angle. She fell heavily on one side. Oh, calamity. That was almost certainly the moment the story began, with the ungainly flip of an ankle. Give us two other books that you're talking about. The Husband's Secret. Okay. And... Truly, madly guilty. Oh wait, I remember. I re- you know who else reads these? Hillary Clinton. Oh, 
and a lot of other people too. But the same team behind Big Little Lies have already optioned Truly Madly Guilty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what I think Leanne Moriarty does so well is she brilliantly intersects her characters' narratives, which come together in a crescendo at the end. She does it with a lot of humor. You hear what her characters are thinking. And when I thought about all her books, I think they're all united by what I've dubbed the four M's. Okay. okay. You ready for the four I M's? I am. The first would be mothers. They forge friendships. They're usually linked through their kids attending the same school. Okay. The second one, it's a biggie, murder. Okay. Oftentimes someone is murdered and you don't know who until the very end. There's usually a moral question. And the lives and ethics and transgressions of the parents are usually visited upon their children. Wait, what's the fourth M? Oh, that's part of morals. Okay. And the fourth would be mystery. There's usually a secret from the past that's bleeding into the present. Have you spent a lot of time pondering this? I did because, you know, I've read all her books and I thought, okay, it brings up those questions that always work for me in terms of how well do you really know your child or your spouse, especially if they're accused of something, how doubt gets in there. And it's very gripping to read because... You as the reader and the other characters usually aren't let in on the secret until the very end. So it keeps you going. Okay, in terms of humor, I'm just going to give you my favorite line from the book, Big Little Lies, which I'm so glad they kept in the adaptation. Okay, there's a character, Madeline, who's played by Reese Witherspoon. Who, by the way, it she plays it exactly as Elle Woods in Legally Blonde, only this person is grown up and a little bit bitter. Yes, and has kids. Right, mm-hmm. but that's the only difference. I mean, she she sort of brings this grown-up legally blonde person um, who arrives in the role, but without the innocent belief in all things that she holds dear. Yeah. You know? Madeline, her character, had been married, but her ex left her when she got pregnant. Okay, he's since remarried, and now he's the father of the year. Okay, so here's the quote. They say it's good to let your grudges go, but I don't know. I'm quite fond of my grudge. I tend it like a little pet. Am I supposed to laugh? <laughs> Maybe you need to either read it or hear it performed. Well, first of all, I listened to the book on audio, and I don't remember. That quote went right by me, I guess. Really? Yeah. Now, by the way, it's clever. Oh, I think it's a great line. It is a great line. And here's what we have to do. We have to definitely, we don't often do this, but we can't talk as much as we would want to about this show because it's only the first episode. It's going to be a seven-episode series, so it's only one series. It's not going to go from... From year to year, it's the book. And it's on HBO. Right, it's on HBO. But we can't really talk about it because there's so many layers to this that I feel like we need to come back after seven weeks and revisit it. So all we can really talk about right now is sort of the beginnings of it and and what it all brings. Are you new to Monterey? Yeah, we just moved here a few weeks ago. You're going to love it. You're so nice. This is Monterey. We pound people with knives. (laughs) To death. But I think we can't even start talking about this till we talk about um, Reese Witherspoon and the fact that she, you know, she had this, she is the one who who started this company, Pacific Standard Properties, which was going to support new female voices in film. And then in September, she broke up. They got divorced. She and her business partner there. Yeah. Bruna Papandrea. Um, they just decided to part ways and each start their own different companies September 1st, 2016. But all the properties that they had purchased together, Pacific Standard Properties, 
they're going to continue to execute out together. So I don't think it's, it's like a bad divorce. It's like they've had these children, and they're going to continue to tend the children that they've already purchased. But we have to give a shout-out to Reese Witherspoon in terms of her choosing amazing books to bring to... She knows exactly what kind of books to bring to the screen because she did also... Wild. Yes. A lot of the creative team behind Wild was reteamed on Big Little and Lies. And Gone Girl. That's right. Okay, Rosa so Pike. okay, you know, and so it's all you know, almost like Shonda Rhimes. If we look at the trajectory of Shonda Rhimes in TV, and now we watch the trajectory of Reese Witherspoon, I think she's the Shonda Rhimes of film, and bringing books to, to market that um, Shonda Rhimes was for television. I totally agree. She is a literary power broker. She coupled with Nicole Kidman's production company in bringing Big Little Lies to yeah, the screen. And yeah. as a testament to how efficient they were, Big Little Lies was the fourth book of Leanne Moyardi's optioned, but it's the first, first to book. get Yeah, made. exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's beautifully, I can already see that this, this, the write, the screenwriting of this series is perfectly executed from the book so far. I can't really speak to that yet, but so far, so good, don't you think? Yes, and I was skeptical of the adaptation because you know I love everything set in Australia with the Australian accents, and I thought, oh, please don't let this be Broadchurch set in Scotland and the UK that they're trying to make into Grace Point set in California where you lose all the atmospherics. But I didn't realize at the time it was written by 10-time Emmy winner... David E. Kelly, who brought us Allie McBeal, yeah. The Practice, Boston he, He's got, it's so funny, it's like Sorkin, he's able to write women's dialogue. Jane just didn't fit here. I thought it was nice for the nannies to get to know each other. We're not a, Jane is not a nanny. Kind of like a dirty old Prius parked outside of Barney's. She's a mom, she's young. Like you used to be? Or like we used to be. <sighs> he must have a very strong relationship with the women he grew up with in his life. He must, I bet he has sisters, I bet he has a strong relationship with his mother. So I wondered if he talked about this with Michelle Pfeiffer at the breakfast yeah, table. You know, really, really, really well done. Now, what's also interesting is that she made this into a seven-part series. Now, if we look at, for example, um, Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Okay, one of the things I didn't like about Gone Girl is it just happened all too fast, and I didn't feel like I got the full force of how everything was affecting him personally and how all of a sudden people started to turn on him. And it just happened really quickly because you only had an hour and a half to tell this book, Gone Girl. Okay, now she's got seven hours Mm -hmm. to tell the same size book. And you know what? Some of these books I think will be moving to seven-part series because I think it's a better way to tell some stories. And I think this is a good example. And I think that's what went wrong with Girl on the Train. To try to tell that story in an hour and a half was just not going to happen. And I think you can do it. I think they didn't do it. But interestingly, Truly Madly Guilty, they've optioned, but they're going to make that a movie because they said that's not perfect for a okay, series. So they're exactly. coming about this I think she's smart, smart about choosing which ones she's going to elongate mm-hmm. and which ones she's going to shorten yeah. and how she's going to do it. And Reese Witherspoon, even though I, whenever I see her now, I can't get out of my head, and I've mentioned this before, and I hate to be that bitter person, but... When she was arrested by the cops and she tried to throw her name around and said, do you know who I am? And it's on tape. I can't let go of that. (laughs) But we're all entitled to be more than the sum total of one action in our lives. So, Reese, I'm never mentioning it again, and I'm really sorry I mentioned it again now. But well done, and well done in choosing women's stories to bring to film. Because we can't talk about why I think this is such a good story for women. Um, We can after the seven. Because you're all making assumptions now. If you haven't read the book, don't. Read the book afterwards now. Don't oh. read it now. So I just want to put that out there. 
Interesting. And look at the cast. You have two Oscar winners, Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman's great in this, by the way. Again, when I heard she was attached, I thought, oh, surely they're going to set it in Australia. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, in the credits, she has a dialect coach. Part of me thinks her Australian accent is coming through more since she married Keith Urban. Well, maybe got... it's Southern. Maybe it's Southern meets uh, Australian. No, it sounds a little bit like Isla Fisher. Hmm. You've got Laura Dern, who was nominated for two Oscars for Best Actress, and another nomination for Best Supporting Actress in Wild. And she's not likable in this, and often I find her not likable. They don't give her roles where she's likable. The director directed Wild, which won three Oscars. I kind of forgot. He was nominated for an Oscar for Best Film Editing for Dallas Buyers Club, which he also directed. I think the editing in this is very strong. Jean-Marc Vallée, he's from Montreal. He's currently directing Amy Adams in the TV series Sharp Objects. There you go. Um, Okay, here's something that's really irritating me. Every single time Nicole Kidman is on the screen, it's a close-up, like in-your-face close-up. Okay, she's the only one they're doing that for. And it bothers me. And in this first episode, they do say the... um, I forget her name. Oh, Shailene Woodley. Yeah, Shailene looks at her and says, you're very beautiful. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me that the camera people and the director think so too, and they feel like they need to show her very close up to show that beauty. I mean, a couple of times she's not, but in general, you know, we see Nicole right in our face, and we don't need to do that. And yet that is her main descriptor in the book. She's supposed to be beautiful, but skittish, and you don't know why. Shailene Woodley, let's give her a shout out. I loved her in The Descendants. Oh, she's very good in this already. Mm -hmm. Already she's so well cast. When you look at who wanted to work on this, it also speaks to Reese Witherspoon's smartness in choices because these actors are all actors that are choosing the roles they're doing now. They're not taking whatever's coming in front of them. They're actually choosing based on what they want to do. And she's picking the kinds of books that have the kind of characters that people want to play. And so she's going to get these great people coming into play it, and it's so well done. And, you know, we should mention the men. I know you said I don't want to talk about the men. Can we just leave them out of it? <laughs> I know you said you're off God. men, but James I'm so off men. James Tupper, I loved him okay, in yeah, Men and Trees. Alexander Skorsgård, the Swedish actor, Jeffrey Nordling, he played Celia Ward's ex back in the day on Once and Again. Here he plays Laura Dern's husband, and Adam Scott plays Reese Witherspoon. No, they're all, everybody's well, really well cast, but thank God the men are in the background. <laughs> So far. (laughs) I thought they did a great job of making this visually very engaging. The opening with the spinning police lights, the music. It's like I'm on the outside looking in. Like the affair, you know there's an investigation going on, but it's not clear who's dead, let alone who did it. So we're like seriously using the word murder? I loved that David E. Kelly kept all this commentary from these peripheral characters from the book that are brought in on the no, um, in the police interviews. It's almost like a Greek chorus commentary. Ticking bomb, I'll leave it at that. Itty bitty ball of rage. Battle lines were drawn. Things never blow over, they blow up. Boom. Well, that's the criminal minds part of it, too. The way they're presenting 
you know, as they're going back and forth between the present day looking into this murder and what leads up to it, you know, it's very short snippets and you have to really pay attention as it's on the screen to not miss whatever they're trying to show you in terms of the murder, what happened around it. So, but what you sort of get out of it is the murder is secondary to whatever else is going on. Mm-hmm. And again, so. David E. Kelly was the perfect person, yeah. person to really strike well that done. tone yeah. where it's funny, you know, but he tiptoes that line where it's engaging with that mystery going on in the background. It just goes to show when you bring every single perfect ingredient to a movie, you can make the best cake of all. That's my that's my sweet analysis of it. Well, I'm glad you liked it because my mother heard that we were going to be talking about she did. this show. She yelled at us. Well, she saw the write-up in the Wall Street Journal. She said it's all kinds of porn. Well, that's what the reviewer said. They yeah. said it's yeah all kinds of porn. Yeah, it's I'm fashion in. porn. I'm in. It's real estate I'm porn. In. And then, of course, it's just porn porn. I'm in. Yeah. There's no porn porn yet. But I, I'm... I'm really liking this adaptation. I'm going to tell your mother, by the way, because I bet you didn't. I'm just saying. Okay, and this weekend is the Academy Awards. Yes, it is. Do you have anything you want to say about it? Are you going to watch? I might not. Oh, my gosh. I do have one thing to say. (laughs) La La Land is up for best music. That's why I can't watch. (laughs) I just can't. When I was watching La La Land, there is a song. Here we go. called Audition, that song just got into my brain, and I thought really? this reminds me oh. so much of something. What could it possibly be? It finally came to me as the credits were rolling. The Rainbow Connection, as performed by Kermit the Frog in the Muppet movie. Tell you me mean that the Muppet movie that I never went to, uh-huh. that movie? It evokes the same themes. Here's to the ones who dream Foolish as they may see. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. My point exactly. Uh-huh. So, so wait, so are you going to watch? You're going to call it derivative? I always get sucked and I end up watching from the red carpets on. I'm not so. watching. La, 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 la. I'm not watching. Because of la, la. I am. I'm so, in, so in protest of what I think was one of the worst movies of the year that I walked out of and I never do that. I, you know, I just, I'm not watching. But still, I'm glad they made it. Okay, I don't know that we can be friends anymore. <laughs> it, you know, check out our podcast. I still, you're right, it's overhyped, but I'm oh, glad they made okay. it. Okay. Are you, we had a big week for you. Oh my goodness, so tall. This was your week. It was my week, and our list of six was in honor of the premiere of The Good Fight. Yes. The spinoff of my beloved The Good Wife. Maya, how you doing? Good. Oh, your first day as a lawyer. Follow me and try to keep up. Luca, Miss Lockhart. Hello. Sorry I'm late. Diane, I heard you're retiring. It's terrible. You're going to lose your last case. (laughs) Available not on CBS, but on CBS. I think you felt as strongly about this as you did about the Gilmore Girls comeback. I did. You did, right? They were both like reunions. Were you excited? Did it work for you? It did. It was the same creative team that brought us The Good Wife. So Ridley Scott is still the executive producer. Doesn't mean they can do it a second time. Robert and Michelle King are still the writers and creators. But if I'm going to put my faith in anybody, I put it in Robert and Michelle King. It picks up one year after the conclusion of The Good Wife. And it centers on Diane Lockhart, who welcomes her goddaughter to the firm. And the goddaughter is played by Rose Leslie, 
the Scottish actress from Downton Abbey right. and Game of Thrones. My retirement money. It's all gone. And where down we go. They have a warrant. They're searching our apartment. This is a nightmare. Are you okay? Will I get my money back? Then don't ask me. So Madoff reincarnated. Go it ahead. It brings back all those echoes of Juliana Margulies's story, mm-hmm. where she's got to start over later in life. They use those oh, same words. Yeah. Your poison. No one else will hire you. The only one that'll give her a chance, as Will gave to Alicia, is an all African American firm. Wait, 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 where wait, wait, wait. Jumbo has gone. So, but is the reason you're loving this because you feel like you get to watch a different version of the same story, or are you loving it because they did it brilliantly and it would stand on its own without? The history behind it. Both of those. And I have to thank Juliana Margulies, even though she's not in this series, because when they approached her to do The Good Wife, she had just gotten married. She said, look, I'll do it if you can base it in New York, which they did, which was fantastic because they always got some of the... I always thought it was based in Chicago. The show is based in Chicago, but the production was based in New York. Oh, I was going to say, okay. And so they always had the best stage actors making these cameos. So you have Christine Baranski in this, a two-time... Tony winner. Practicing the law, you don't go on instinct. You wait, you listen, and watch. Christine Baranski was offered another huge part, and then they came to her with this spinoff, and she said, just like Valerie Harper, what tipped it for her was the writing. I said, bring it on. You know, seven great seasons, we, uh, so many of us did not want it to end because... So many people, the audience, the, the viewing audience, thought it's such intelligent writing. How wonderful to see female characters yeah. who are in authority positions, educated, articulate in the workspace. I only saw the first 10 minutes, and I'm going to watch it. But I, I have a feeling it's the kind of show I don't want to watch one episode a week. It's gonna, it will drive me crazy. I need to watch it after 10 episodes. I can't, I can't watch it one off. Well, then you can binge watch the whole series because that was another selling point. For Christine Baranski, unlike The Good Wife that had 20 plus right. episodes a season for seven seasons, this one they're going to keep closer to 10. So, so I only have to wait 10 weeks? Right, and it's not that onerous TV yeah. production no, schedule. You know, I just can't do this kind of show one night a week. I just can't, you know. I am going to watch it and I could see after the first 10 minutes, oh my god, this is going to be great. I loved it. It would top my list of six for my favorite spinoffs. Now you do know that after the election, the real election, they had to reshoot the opening because they had a different opening based on Hillary Clinton winning. Which was a funny opening and, and true to her character yeah. and all of that. But they also have that special focus on technology that Robert King always loved. Oh. And they do rip stuff from the headlines. So I am so glad to oh, have them Oh, I'm so back. glad you're excited. Yay, the good fight. Yay. Okay. So it's been a week of, a week of TV trash. <laughs> I'm not calling okay, it trash. I, just, I know, but compared to listening. a United Kingdom and loving all these earth-shattering changes historically based, and then we're moving on to what we really got excited about, which is uh, Big Little Lies. <laughs> okay, Golden just saying. Okay, there you what go. What can I say? Over and out. <laughs> <laughs>